Hey fam, thanks for checking this little recording out. If you're listening to this, it means you must have attended a talk, workshop, or even a class of mine that I recorded, and you want to get the nitty gritty. That's great. Excellent. If you're just being snoopy and you're trying to figure things out, it's all good. My name's Dan White Hodge. I'm an educator, and you're about to learn something today. Thanks again for following up, and I truly hope this adds an enrichment to you and your work. As always, hit me up if you got them questions at whitehodge.com and check out my podcast while you're at it, Profane Faith. I'll talk with you later. Peace. All right, I'm going to assume that this is recording right now. This uh, Zoom stuff, it seems to be the way we are headed these time in these times and days. Um, so for recording, welcome. My name is Dr. Daniel White Hodge. Uh, I am a professor of communication arts uh, out here in Chicago. I host a podcast called Profane Faith. And welcome to my little home studio. This is actually what I call the lab down here uh, in my basement where I do all my recordings. And this last spring when we had to go all online, I was able to record down here and record all my lectures and interact with students and all that good stuff. So you are here bearing witness to this. And so um, a couple different things before we get going here. Um, I wanted to take on something that uh, when I was asked to do this, I was I, I started thinking about a variety of different topics, but I really wanted to hone in on something that I've been trying to process and think through easily for the last five years, um, and especially since the 2016 election. And this has been something that has been on my mind, on my heart. And so I wanted to I wanted to engage with this and I wanted to um, nuance it a bit and particularly with how we understand life, how we understand race, how we understand gender, um, how we understand just where we're at right now. Um, and so for me, it's looking towards a theology of hopelessness. Um, I'm not drawing this right out of the air. This comes uh, out from a friend of mine uh, and a pseudo mentor, Dr. Miguel de la Torre, uh, and his work, Embracing Hopelessness. This is a, a great read. If you haven't had a chance to read it, uh, I highly recommend it. And so I wanted to kind of break down what do I even mean by hopelessness? Because I think for a long time, we've been told to hope that, you know, this is going to come. And, and, and essentially we've been taught to ev that everything is going to work out just fine. And I want to reject that notion. I want to reject that and, and assert that that actually comes from a dominant culture's perspective, a dominant society's perspective. And so this is not relevant for those of us who have lived under the boot in the heel of oppression for hundreds of years. And so things don't always work out. The fact that we're still talking about the firsts being anywhere hasn't necessarily meant we've gone much further than what we made progress in 1964. Uh, if anything, we have regressed with the current administration uh, in our understanding of civil rights, social equity, um, and really the rights for all um, and how those things break down. So what do I mean by this? Well, a couple of different things. I want to look at hopelessness as a process. In other words, how we engage and how we do things in life, this process. And I, and I want to kind of push us a little bit because I get that this is difficult. I get that some of you watching right now were probably thinking, man, you know, I've been always taught that things work out. I'm, I'm imagining if you go to church, you probably sing praise and worship songs that things work out in the end and that our God is a mighty God, right? 
it is a very interesting dichotomy when we start to engage and work through some of those areas uh, of understanding and particularly how we look at God, because no one wants a punk God, right? No one wants a punk ass God. You don't want to be able to kick God's ass, okay? Uh, you want a God that is almighty, that can shoot lightning out of his ass and, and, and lasers out of his eyes and, and thunderbolts and lasers out of his fingers, right? That's the kind of God that we've been taught to look at. And so I've been, I would take that and say, let's put that on the table for a second because at the end of the day, this is still a very Eurocentric way of looking at God. So hopelessness as a, as a process, Hopelessness as a starting point, my, Miguel de la Torre writes, he says, in, in the proper order of things, his book explores what it means to move away from a middle class privileged theology, which again assumes all things are going to work out in the end. All things in spite of Romans 8.28 do not always work for good or for those called by God's purposes. And I want to emphasize that because this is the begin the starting point to begin to understand where we find ourselves, particularly persons of color, black people in particular, in this society and in this country, right? As black people, we are a people with no home, no theological home, and no physical home, no spiritual home, right? Yes, you can do a DNA test. Yes, you can do your ancestry and everything. But at the end of the day, blacks in the United States don't have a country that they can go to. Okay, so this hopelessness is a starting point, this point in where we begin to understand God from a hopeless position, not from a position of power, not from a position of understanding that, again, somehow, some way, right, hope always wins. Because you have to remember something. As a, as a communication theorist, we begin to look at rhetoric and how rhetoric just get dismantled uh, in society, particularly how media creates narratives and how these assumed narratives are there. We tend to have these narratives that focus around um, hope. Hope is a social construct. And I like what uh, President White had to snow. Or was it snow? Snow, right, on the uh, Hunger Games, who actually talked about how hope um, is, a, is a weapon. And it can be weaponized and whatnot. Because if you hope that things will eventually work out, you'll put in those 18-hour days. You'll go to school and get into debt. You'll go over and do all these things and hope that things will be working out. But as the scholar and uh, a prophet Tupac Amaro Sakur said, people have been in college for a long time already. Right. We've had we've been had colleges. We've been had those things. And there are still Brenda's. There are still Trayvon Martins. There are still George Floyd's. Right. That we are dealing with. And so this becomes a starting point where we begin to embrace this notion of hopelessness, hopelessness as being. I know most of us have been taught that we have to keep our heads up and even, even so much to the point that we have a toxicity of hope and positivity. Right. Always be happy. Always think that things are going to work out. And the reality of it is that that is all just bull crap. It really isn't a thing to do because no one really gets up in the morning and begins to just say, okay, today is going to be positive because we are humans. We live in ups and downs and ups and downs. That is the normal way of life. There is no one on this earth who can say I'm happy and positive all the time. And if they do, they're lying to you. They're hiding something. People who are happy all the time scare the hell out of me. And so I want to be able to actually see somebody who has highs and lows. I like seeing people at their worst day. I like seeing people on their best day and everything in between. So hopelessness begins as this being.
thinking, as this way of understanding life from this starting position. And again, this is part of what uh, uh, Dr. De La Torre is trying to break down in understanding this. And it's also a way of decolonizing our understanding of what Christianity is. For so long, Christianity, uh, which is why I don't I, I don't I reject evangelicalism and I reject the notion that all we have to do is get people saved, because for so long, that is what Christianity has been. Just get people saved. I used to be a member of, uh, or, or st on staff with Young Life many moons ago, um, and that was the sole goal. Let's get him to camp. Let's get him to say so. Let's get him to confess the name of Jesus Christ as their savior. If we can do that, we have accomplished everything. And at the end of the day, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to call it out. That's bullshit. That's a great. I don't even say if it's a great starting point, I'd say that's OK. But the reality of it is, is that those kids that I was working with, right, not the suburban kids that go home to mom and dad with four or five different cars, a summer home, a vacation. Right. Their vacation was down the street, uptown, grandma house. Right. That was their vacation or just going to camp. So one of the things that we failed at as a leadership team, because we had embraced a white colonized understanding of Christianity, was that we thought, hey, once they accept Jesus, that's it. Their life should work out. Well, guess what? When they come down off that mountain off a of camp and they go right back into hell, hell starts right back over again. So hopelessness is process. Hopelessness is a starting point and hopelessness as being. All right. Stick with me now. Come on, y'all. So what are we talking about here? What are some of these foundations? Well, things are really messed up right now. And I don't know where y'all stand with, you know, strong language. I don't even call it considerate uh, a cursing, but I want to be weary because I get that some people get turned off. And just by looking at a bald black man here, you know, speaking uh, uh, very vigorously can probably set people off. Right. But things are messed up right now. If you don't understand that, then you've got a lot more understanding to do. And this is probably not the lecture you should be listening to. OK, um, we live in a time where we have the president of the United States conspiring with other conspiracy theorists among, you know, throughout the country to say that COVID-19 is somehow a conspiracy theory. Right. That somehow there is a deep state that is trying to take him out. Uh, we live at a time when we can almost to the point that we can begin to say, well, you know, blacks were better off when they were under the care of white folks. Right. I think we should bring some of that stuff back. We live at that time where white nationalists can storm a U.S. Capitol fully armed. No question about it. And they can walk away and celebrate that day. But when we celebrate things as black people and just to say, hey, we just want to stand up and be alive. We get maced. We get tear gassed. Then we get blamed for being unpeaceful. Right. And the old notion, of course, of nonviolence is, of course, a white construct as well, because this nation has always been violent and use violence when it wants to use violence. Right. Nobody was talking about all lives matter when bin Laden was accused of bombing the 9-11, you know, accused of of of, of uh, uh, mind. Uh, uh, excuse me. Excuse a uh, set up for, for putting together the 9-11 attacks. Nobody was talking about oh, no, all lives matter. They were wanting blood. We wanted an enemy. Things are messed up right now, y'all. Evangelicalism has failed us. I, I strongly, I encourage as many, especially people of color and especially black folk, we need to move away from evangelicalism. It has failed us miserably. And it has pushed those who, who, who thought things were going to work out into desolate fear, depression, um, and to the angst of it, uh, suicide. Um, and so we live in this time. We live in this time where that 
is not uh, the, the, the idea of just getting saved, just going to church. That shit don't work no more. And what we need is a theology of the nitty gritty to quote Anthony Pannon and what in his framework for nitty gritty hermeneutics, a theology that actually pushes beyond just praying about it or lifting your hands or going to church. Those are the ways of the old and we have to begin to look at what's the new. And I would actually posit that we have to begin to look at God as what the uh, physicist and Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev proposes, the types of civilizations that are out there uh, in the universe. And God is a type three civilization. A type one civilization uh, can manage the entire energy and material resources of a planet. A type two civilization is a capable is capable of harnessing the energy and material resources of a star and its planetary system. And a type three civilization, well, psh, they're able to manage the energy and material resources of an entire galaxy. So if you have that kind of technology beholden to you, you can imagine being able to create a life and manage it is probably just, you know, like nothing else. Like, yeah, we'll just go create some more humans or some whatever. <laughs> right. So Carter Schiff proposed that, the, that a civilization's level of technological advancement could be measured and based on the amount of energy that the civilization is able to utilize, utilize and therefore establishing three types of civilizations. If you're, if you're up on astronomy talk today, they're actually proposing type four civilizations that are able to control multiple um galaxies um and i would look at god upon as that is is a type three civilization that helps establish life on this planet but the notion that god is going to somehow you know take care of us and take care of those that they care for i mean it's no more than saying covid 19 is not welcome here and putting up signs all over the place that's cool that's great of course it's not welcome here but that don't make a difference to covid 19 it's still coming all right as you can put up all the signs you want Right. I'm pretty sure George Floyd went to church and prayed those prayers that things are going to work out. God will protect me. Where is God in those situations? See, so this is, again, this hopelessness as being right, this hopelessness as a starting point and realizing that God is, again, an alien civilization with technology far beyond us and to which technology to us looks like magic. Let's keep moving on. My time is nigh. These are just some changes that are happening in our country today. Most of y'all know this. Uh, this is nothing new. We have generational shifts uh, and we have a downturn and particularly white Protestants. Um, the right knows that, particularly uh, Trump's team knows that. And it's created all kind of lies around the idea of socialism and the idea of Black Lives Matter and the idea notion that, you know, Antifa is is, is going to take over and, and create a demigod. And so... This is a scare for a lot of people because the country is changing, not necessarily in power, not necessarily in civic uh, 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 systemic leadership, but in demographics. OK, we know this. These are some these are just some trends. The decline of white Christians, 2006 to 2016. Right. Uh, we know that we know that in 2007 there were more. Right. And then by 2016, there were less, less than 14 percent, especially around the Bible Belt. And we also know by the research that a lot of these folks who do consider them Christians and, and consider themselves younger uh, or who are younger uh, tend to lean left or be, be a, but a lot more tolerant of things that would used to be hot button issues like abortion. Right. So there are some changes, some multitude of changes happening um, in this country. And I think it's important for us to actually begin to see some of these things, but also know that these changes don't mean that systemic racism has ended. I get so tired of people trying to tell me that, oh, my gosh, look, we have all these people of color here and they're great and they're nice. Right. And just all that to say that racism is over. 
No, it ain't over. <laughs> um, and we're having a reckoning right now. Today is the day that the you know Redskins announced the Washington Redskins, right? They they announced that they are getting rid of that logo and they're getting rid of that name, that racist name. Can you imagine, right, a football team called the American Niggas? Or not even niggas, niggers, right? With the ER. And 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 a white person defending that stuff, being like, hey, it's historical. We've always had this. Right? A large part of why that's happening is because there is a push, right, from folks who are saying, I'm tired of this mess. And the reckoning is now. It's now time. Kaepernick started something much bigger than I think even he realized. Theology of hopelessness, y'all. So racial attitudes, I believe, in the 2016 election, this is what helped uh, particularly uh, what got uh, your boy 45 elected. Uh, there's fear of a new U.S. New US electorate, right? We know that. We know with all the voter suppression going on, we have an election coming up here in November. It's going to be probably one, of, at least for me in my lifetime, one of the greatest elections uh, that I will see because of all the madness, because we tend to believe what we see in the media. There's fear of immigration, right? There's this not knowing that if they come over here, they're going to gain access and they're going to, you know, demand these things, right? Taxes in the economy, because that is the religion that we all bow down to, is money, <laughs> right? And then there's main evangelical tropes, abortion, same gender marriage, LGBTQ bathrooms, right? We haven't heard the bathroom piece for a while, but it's coming back. It'll circle back. It always does. Right. And those become the center points, if you will, the pickups for a lot of folks who, you know, want to hop on those bandwagons without ever reading deeper into the issues. For example, abortion has little to do about life. It's much more about racism. Go check out uh, um, what my 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 uh, my good friend and, 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 and colleague. Um, oh, man, I'm, I'm spacing on her name and I can see her right in front of me she in fact she was on my podcast i should know this but she talks about um it, she talks a lot about the history of abortion and how it was created uh and it really wasn't even on the rights uh, uh um you know teleprompter uh until the 80s right and uh and really uh, lisa sharon harper that's who you should go look at because she has a whole manifest on how that breaks down then of course you have evangelical support of trump 81.8 percent um, and I don't necessarily believe that number has really changed. I don't really believe polls that their polls are showing that old oh, Trump is down. They were saying that mess in 2016, right? Uh, there's also a perception of whites losing the majority, which scares the hell out of white people, most white people. And that's not just in politics. That's in churches. That's in nonprofit organizations. That's in all them damn short-term missions people want to take and take pictures, you know, with the black and Mexican kids, right? And this notion of returning to American values, that's just a complete hoax in, in and of itself, right? Uh, there's also a rise in hate for blacks and the feelings that blacks, they already have too many privileges. They can go to college, they're doctors, they're lawyers, you know, white lives matters, right? Uh, there is some, uh, you know, there's some, when you begin to understand the alt-right and what the, what the right, the particularly um, what neo-Nazis are saying, they're saying that, you know, white voices are being erased, and that white cis males, um, white Christian, particularly Christian cis males, um, are no longer wanted and that they're considered the enemy. So I think it's important to begin to kind of look at some of those as well, because again, theology of hopelessness. Let's keep moving. I love Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. Uh, she has a great book um, on Stand Your Ground. This is what she writes uh, about manifest destiny and stand your ground. She says, today, the manifest destiny of Stand Your Ground culture war is fueled by the presence of a black man living in the White House. 
There's no greater challenge to America's grand narrative of Anglo-Saxon exceptionalism than a black president. This represents a complete encroachment upon the space reserved for cherished white property. It is no surprise, therefore, that stand your ground culture has asserted itself in an aggressive and unrelenting manner. Think about the uprisings and notice that I call them uprisings and not riots that happened. Okay, that happened in Minneapolis and really a lot of the cities. I'm here in Chicago. They happened two blocks away from where I live. Right. What was the biggest thing that came from that? Teardowns of white owned property. And I get that people have got bumper stickers now that say Black Lives Matter. When I see systemic change, I may get on board with that crap. Until then, it's just a propaganda note that some white people think it's cool to now go and do. Right? And this is what Kelly, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas is after right here and looking at that and breaking those things down. Another great read if you hadn't had a chance to read it. So how do we move forward in all of this crap, man? I tell you, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, and I don't claim to sit here and say, oh, you do these five things and then we'll be better. No, no. I think we have a lot of reckoning to do. Um, and hopefully, but I don't have a lot of hope for it, that we'll make it out of this without a civil war. But maybe we need a civil war. Maybe we need shit to just be burnt down. Because I think we have to move beyond good intentions. I didn't mean it that way. That's not what we were trying to do. Right, but that was the impact of it. For example, if you're still part of a church organization, do they still do short-term missions to go out and help the poor little people? What's that all about? Beyond good intentions. I think it's also about engaging and dismantling the great white hope worldview that somehow white people are the saviors for everything, right? The notion when people say, well, what about, does Black Lives Matters even speak to the black on black death? Man, shut your silly ass up and talking about mess like that. Because the reality of it is, is that people of black people, people of color have been in those neighborhoods for decades. Right. But people don't see that mess and they think, well, white people aren't there. Nah. And of course, we got to embrace the, embrace the multi-ethnic Jesus. There were not no white people in the Bible. Jesus wasn't white. And if race wasn't such a big thing for Christianity, why does Jesus continually show up as white? And God with white, with a big ass beard and, you know, flowing white hair and crap, man. Tired of that. That goes right back into number four, deconstructing a neo-colonized Christian ideology, which for me is dismantling evangelicalism and dismantling what that means, particularly for oppression, particularly for nonprofit organizations and what that means. Moving forward in the hopelessness, y'all. And then number five, I think we have to prepare for shit. I think we have to develop curriculum with that in mind. Mother Teresa gives us a great example of, of, of this theology around hopelessness. I think when people asked her, why do you sit around with people who are dying? They're dead. Their ticket is punched. And she was like, I know. I know. I get that. But nobody just gets to, gets to die alone. Nobody should have to die alone. There it is. Beyond good intentions. Right? Developing the, developing the shit curriculum, right? In other words, preparing for that. Things aren't always going to work out. Grandma's still going to die. That person's still going to go to prison for 25 years and maybe longer. But how do we continue to be engaged with God, this type three civilization God, right? That spirit, which may just be nanotech. I'll get to that at some other point. Um, how do we still engage with that and still be human to another human? Theology of hopelessness, y'all. 
I snapped this picture uh, when I was in Ferguson a few years back. This was right after the uprisings of when Mike Brown was brutally murdered um, by a, uh, a white terrorist cop. You know, and we know already known, right? Clan members, neo-Nazis have been infiltrating the police force for decades. Uh, if you don't know your history, know that, you know, the police units were designed and built around racism and particularly primarily stopping black people. Uh, know your history. I ain't got time to get into that. But what I like about this is that it has everything that I'm talking about here. You and me together on one side and fuck your peace on the other. I think we need to sit with this and begin to understand what does that look like? This theology of hopelessness. Jonah knew it well. The book of Jonah, right? That we always have in Sunday school or Sabbath school, depending on your tradition, right? This whole thing, yeah. Oh, the Jonah and the whale, and he finally heard the voice of God, but it ends on a shitty note. Jesus leaves the world at a time of turmoil in shitty terms. Wasn't all good. That nigga didn't even tell anybody that he was, was alive. People didn't even know that he had risen. It took the disciples to finally see his hand, and it really took the Holy Spirit, that AI, to show up and to be like, hey, fool, this really is Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, y'all. And, 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 and I love the Great Commission the way Matthew tells it, because Matthew actually says they still doubted that theology of hopelessness, y'all. I think we have to embrace those things and begin to understand those areas be way beyond, again, the things are just going to work out. Because at the end of the day, things don't always work out, particularly for people of color and especially black folk, Native Americans, LGBTQ folks that are in this, uh, that, that are all in this as well. You and me together, yes, but also fuck your peace. Giving you some stuff to think about. Hopefully uh, you can digest some of it and uh, we can process this a little bit more. I uh, do thank you for your time. This is my contact information right here. This is my latest and greatest book, Baptized in Dirty Water, Reimagining the Gospel According to Tupac Amaro Shakur. I have a weekly podcast called Profane Faith, which is on iTunes and all the places you get your podcasts. If you just want to know more about me, I'm at whitehodge.com. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening in and Let's continue moving forward, y'all. Let's continue moving forward. All right.